This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontier, show number 48, recorded on September 10th, 2018. Here in Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity big data and the technologies that are shaping the future. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, we'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email, jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Although, maybe way more productive if you just send those over to Christian. And that's super easy, Christian at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Olson or Christian at Borg Whisperer. Yes, that's what it is, Borg Whisperer. TheAverageGuy.tv, powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get uh, secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people you know and you trust. Perfect, actually, for podcasters. Both web and media hosting can cost as little as $10 a month to get, yes, both of those. And they're actually both optimized just for podcasters. Although, Christian can really do anything. So if you got some questions, send him an email or go out and visit maplegrovepartners.com, and uh, he'd love to chat with you. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that on your device of choice, whether you're on an iPhone or an Android device or you're on your laptop or your computer, whatever. There's all kinds of ways to subscribe. Get that done so you get these automatically because we don't do them on a regular basis. Christian is back with me, and uh, Christian, good to see you. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. Uh, How are things? Things are well. Uh, We are not hunkering down, but certainly preparing to weather the week-long rainy effects of Florence and otherwise. So it's a a somber time in my life for, for seasonal weather, but I've I've heard in the news this is the this is the judgment for the East Coast being I guess so just this the bed of sin and debauchery I mean oh that's what I, I read that on the news isn't that what what uh, is that what the fake news is all about anyways we've got fake news uh, kind of listed as the first topic we want to go through and I think we know a lot we hear that word being thrown around I think it's really only been in the last maybe two years Christian right that. It's being being thrown around. There are a, maybe you'll have a different angle when we think about fake news. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting topic, especially because so much of our political uh, dialogue and discourse as of late is centered around um, political cyber and uh, fake news and trying to define what it means to be fake news. And um, interestingly. There are several several domains we've talked about on this show where um, AI outperforms humans at doing things. Um, and some of the recent research out of the University of Michigan shows that um, fake news is better detected by computers than um, humans by about 6%. So you have your average uh, learning algorithm can identify uh, a fake news article accurately 76% of the time compared to humans, which can do it 70% of the time. Uh, and I, I just find this whole topic fascinating because the very algorithm that we are worried about, which is how do things get end up getting ranked, like which content matters more than not, which content is factually accurate versus opinionated. We are now also using algorithms and automated approaches to try and debunk our algorithms. So it's kind of like a weird way of doing uh, functional testing of machine learning algorithms as far as humans see them. And it's the whole, the whole field is kind of awkward and bizarre because it has become this new machine learning problem that people are, are clearly digging into. Um, personally, I think it, 
is very much in the fad stage right now. There's not really a lot of science behind it to tell us that empirically fake news is going to be an increasing problem over the long term. I think it's pretty easy to make the argument over the short term that it's going to increasingly be used, but um, there's a lot of counterpulls to how people are using data on the internet that suggests that the effect of fake news or misleading articles could um, diminish over time as people become more self-aware of what they're reading um, on the internet. Uh, and, you know, just the the old adage that if I, re- if I read it on the internet, it must be true. Um, I think that's how most of most people have operated when gathering information on the internet for a predominant part of its history. But I think we are now starting to move in an era where people will be far more cautious about how they are digesting that information and what algorithms they do or do not allow them to influence what they learn and what their decision making is. And, you know, it's ironic in the sense that, you know, I remember in school and I'm pretty sure anyone who, you know, was awake in middle school and high school and college and so forth, um, they beat it down, beat it down your throat for years on end about, uh, doing good academic research involves, um, getting strong citations, right. And going through all the, the hoops to say that you didn't plagiarize something because you properly cited it, but also that your information was good because you cited it from a credible source. Uh, and so this, this whole fad of fake news really is talking about the velocity at which we dump new ideas and they go viral on the internet. But the concept of trying to do proper information gathering and citation has you know, been around since the internet started, but it wasn't the cool, sexy thing to talk about. Um, in academia, it was very much about writing a credible research paper or taking a credible position, and increasingly so as print materials became less and less of a predominant primary source for people authoring original research, it more and more came to, okay, how do we properly adapt these mechanisms for online news and internet sources and research papers and so forth, as opposed to um, in print. And so I think we are just uh, remarrying ourselves to old concepts within the modern confines of the the political and um, intellectual reactions to algorithms basically telling us what we do and do not want to see. Christian, with, you know, when we think about confirmation bias, I mean, that's so strong in the sense that, you know, fake news goes both ways. It's written to really um, oftentimes reinforce a confirmation bias in someone and have them, you know, continue either continue down that path or continue down stronger or influence those around them to get that done. What, I mean, it, it just seems like that works so well. What will it take for the population in general to discredit that and to rely on more reliable resources? And, you know, it, it just seems like uh, no matter what, people just continue to fall for that. And, and you know, I what well, you allude to, it may get... We may see less of it. I just keep, I don't see an end in sight. It's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, so again, it's like we're fighting algorithms with algorithms to try and combat this problem right now. So 
Uh, one of the really interesting science experiments on this right now is a website called Nowhere News, spelled K N O W H E R E news.com. So it's like the no, like I know something combined with the word where. Um, they both share that W um, and then the word news all in one domain. Um, the whole point of the website is they claim that they use a combination of learning algorithms and people upvoting or downvoting the level of bias in an article to create a news feed that is essentially completely, um, in theory, bias-free, right? So unlike a Google News or something similar where your preferences and your filters get set very quickly. This site kind of prides itself on being something where it reports newsworthy items, but doesn't present them within an opinionated or biased slant to the left, right, or otherwise. Um, and so because the problem of what we call fake news or opinionated commentary or otherwise happens at the speed of computing, um, having a human response to a speed of computing problem is a uh, unfillable prophecy, right? So I think that's the justification for why we're answering our own algorithms with more algorithms. Um, that said, it's a very un just like it's very unproven to assert the success criteria for identifying something as fake or biased. It is equally as hard to prove the opposite, which is that um, something is not. So, you know, it's a very opinionated thing right now to look at something like nowhere, which which is what they call themselves, and and say definitively whether or not you you feel what you're reading is has any type of non-factual basis to it. Um, but outside of that, having algorithms determine that is still very much a, a rules definition and a feature-based approach. And they're relying on kind of feedback data of humans saying yes or no to how much they, they you know, find the story to be impartial or not. Um, they're relying on that as the feedback mechanism to improve their learning algorithm, right? So in essence, the website is a giant self-supervised or a semi-supervised uh, learning model. Um, an interesting thing that they do in addition to the impartiality score is they they show you what's called a source trust ranking. And they basically, they rank the quality of the sources that are referenced in the article um, or have been referenced to it, which again, reminds me very much of the old classic times of, you know, the, the biggest junky website of any college student or high school student was easybib.com, which is where basically you put that URL in that had the thing you wanted to cite and automatically wrote the MLA citation for you to jam into your paper. Um, this source trust ranking system they came up with is more or less very, very similar in concept where they're basically ranking based on the trustworthiness of the source whenever it's referenced in the article or whenever that source references, um, you know, it's, it's bi-directional reference from what I understand. So, um, you know, I'm just looking at one of these articles um, about the Justice Department on the, uh, on the website. And if you scroll down, it has 16 source trust rankings that are in there where 
the most trustworthy references from MarketWatch um, and the least trustworthy references from uh, Breitbart. And it kind of ranks from A to Z based on the, I think, the political lean of the source, how trustworthy it is, right? So I think their concept here is that MarketWatch doesn't really have any political skin in the game, whereas Breitbart is a very well-defined political category. So um, kind of an interesting approach. I have yet to see if sites like this are going to catch on, but it certainly goes without saying that as we're seeing social media kind of have a giant hiccup right now, I think we will see this topic extend to how we use social media platforms or don't use social media platforms. Because I think we really did saturate and peak with the initial user base of social media. And some of the reactions we're seeing to how people's technology and data are getting misused combined with how people perceive the agenda of a particular platform for them um, may radically influence a potential future niche of people coming up with new niche social or news sources like Nowhere to try and claim to provide impartiality and verifiably non-leaning places to talk to others and learn information. Um, and so if anyone thought information science was dead as a, as a field, um, I think this is very much where information science may start to trend towards um, once you get past kind of the classic concepts in information science. My daughter, of course, studying journalism at the, uh, you know, uh, at uh, Northwest Missouri State, and you know, it's an interesting time to be a journalist as well. And what actually, you know, what actually gets written? It's funny when I hear her talk; she's trying to follow all the rules. You know, she's taught these journalism rules about what they can and can't write, and keeping bias out, and you know, citing your sources and or not, you know, based on confidentiality and all those things, and. You know, she feels very, um, you know, um, strong about the future of journalism and where it's going and what it's doing. And yet there's all this churn around the technology around it and around, you know, algorithms now appearing to go after each other. So, you know, you've got algorithms creating the news in some cases. Then you have other algorithms trying to determine if that's fake news or not. And then there's probably algorithms to fake out the fakes from the fakery of, you know, and it, it, it's going to, it seems like it's going to maybe get a little ridiculous before it gets better. Like we're going to, we're going to science the crap out of this thing. We're going to, you know, computer science, the crap out of this thing before people go, you know, maybe we should just report the truth. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, it's like, Holding humans accountable, I think, yeah. is yeah. not going to be the scientific validation point here, but um, it's really not clear to me what the acceptance criteria is yet for saying whether or not we have gotten ourselves out of this problem. Um, I think it is going to be a growing problem, but both a crisp and concise um, problem statement and um, a, you know, what is the, what is the end goal? really not clear to me right now, but clearly stuff like this is popping up. So people are thinking about it. No. Um, and, and, you know, I, I already see links on here for uh, our membership program. So it, it says it's free. 
interestingly, but um, it's got levels, right? It's, yeah, so yeah. it's got levels based on how you engage with the site, which kind of makes sense because I think that's how they they have to have people engaging with the editorial portion of the site in order for them to get the feedback mechanisms that they get um, for for ranking the articles properly. So um, whether or not this turns into like a, a paid journal at some point, I have no idea. Um, but certainly they're trying to crowdsource the data model right now, which is quite interesting. It is interesting. Be something interesting to follow all book market. I signed up for it. And uh, book market, and I don't, you know, I don't have a good place right now I really go to. I've been viewing the news mostly on the app on my iPhone. You know, there's the news section there, and it's got a, it comes from a variety of sources. Right. <laughs> you know, sometimes I kind of chuckle at, like, can 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 I even, can I even read this? Yeah, you well, know, s- same thing, right? It's like, you know, how many people who own iPhones bother to take the time to go into the news app and figure out how to... Customize the sources that they want, and are the defaults that are set. You know how how can you say with any great? You know I'm I'm looking at my iPhone right now. I get top stories, I get trending, and I get top videos. Well, the top stories are from PBS NewsHour and Fox News. The trending is from Vanity Fair and what does that say? People People Magazine, and the top videos is from USA Today. So. You know, yeah, I I guess, but and it looks like you're seeing exactly the same thing I'm seeing. Oh like, yeah. So we probably have not customized our news app at right. all. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so then I, you know, click it up and the first thing I get humorously, personalize your news, improve your reading experience by following your favorite channels and topics. So it's waiting for me to pick what channels and things i'm interested in before it down selects and so maybe the 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 joke is on me for not doing this first but um you know i i scroll through here and i see everything from vox to slate to men's health to tech crunch i mean there's all sorts of stuff in here but there's not really i don't know it, it very much reminds me of twitter in the sense that all bad experiences with Twitter start when you first create your account and you pick five followers and then it forever starts sending you down the winding road of followership from the first five. It like forever embeds like, oh, you must be interested in this for the rest of your life. Um, and it takes basically quite some time of you know following and doing other things to start changing that algorithm's opinion. But um, it, it's also not clear to me do we know if the news app that's on here is provided by Apple or is it someone else? I don't, I do not know. I believe it's an Apple I, app. I think it is. Could, could be wrong. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious how they, they see the problem in the perspective because, um, you know, same thing. I feel like this is one of the apps that kind of everyone just assumes and takes for granted on their iPhone, but I don't know how many people really take seriously doing any kind of customization with it. So, yeah, there's some sources that are just awful. Oh, they're terrible. Vanity fair is one of the, one of the worst offenders in there. (laughs) And you just like, Oh my gosh, come on people. Just the clickbait. I mean, we're not even talking about the, the lean or the, the bias or the fake news. Just the clickbait. I mean, it's it's like clickbait one hundred and one on some of these 
part of yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, just our culture becoming the BuzzFeed culture, right? And like everything is like a there has to be some instant gratification at the end of at the at the end of reading the article that reinforces your your worldview. Um and it's funny because it, it kind of reminds me of the same um achievement scenario in video games, right? There's this whole um science behind how humans become addicted to games and and one of the biggest mechanisms in which people start down that path is the achievement complex which is like oh i you know i i do this hard thing and and i'm i'm rewarded in some way in the game and that is what allows me to just start you know moving deeper and deeper we are starting to get that way with news where it's like Ah, if that wasn't a satisfying article that reinforced my worldview, like I have to keep reading and looking for another one that's a better clickbait. Um, so, you know, I don't know what people are looking for on the other end of it, but certainly from a, um, if we're, if we step back for a second and say, what is the objective computer science thing to do here? Um, there's certainly much to be said for how AI and machine learning are playing a role in influencing this content. Um, and in terms of unexplored research areas, in my opinion, very little test frameworks or validation um, theories being postulated for how to accurately classify and assess this type of information, which, um, again, it's it's one of these things I'm torn about because I don't see the problem going away soon, but I'm not sure it's the right problem to be solving yet. Um, you know, it's like try not to take a hammer to every single problem in life. It's like, do we need to really start sifting and building these huge learning algorithms and data models to fix a very human generated problem? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, I think the fact that the problem happens at the scale of computing it, from a virality perspective makes me think yes. But the fact that we've gone from zero to 200% on this, this kind of topic is is usually a red flag for me saying this is a giant fad um so i i don't know if it's going to plateau to any kind of reasonable area where there's long-term value in solving these problems yeah no good uh, enough let's let's switch topics you got an interesting one here you know there was a tv show called person of interest that was out yes uh, probably a great show a decade ahead of its time uh most of that technology is showing up at least in the mainstream uh right now um, but it, it's this whole idea of just facial recognition being everywhere because cameras are everywhere. And then a computer trying to predict or I'm sorry, trying to protect people or solve crimes. I didn't I actually never. You know, that funny. That is a show I should have watched a lot of because it had a lot of tech in it and I never did. But let's talk about the real world. Uh, are we seeing more of this coming? Yeah, so I mean, actually, it's it's not as much of a, a switch as we think because the algorithms uh, that the I, it's a switch in topics of how the how AI is becoming a pervasive part of um, our society. But um, if it's not reading news, it's travel now. So the, the hot thing this month was that um, Dulles Airport uh, in Northern Virginia has rolled out. Um, facial recognition for boarding. And so the concept here is um, they stipulate that they basically keep the facial recognition data for up to two weeks and they use it to speed up um, boarding the flight and doing things to get through security. And basically um, 
they take a lot of steps to show how they're being uh, privacy conscientious, one with the data retention policy, two, they've done quite a bit to look into how to properly um, notify passengers and give them a very clear guidelines of like how the technology is being used, why it's being used, et cetera. And by and large, I think people are already so used to the fact that when they go through the airport, there's a lot happening then uh, with respect to um, rights or not rights to privacy and, and the whole security apparatus associated with getting on a plane. Um, but interestingly, a quick win for this whole concept was that three days in, um, they caught their first suspected imposter using facial biometrics. So it really didn't take long to justify the program from the perspective of, again, humans are not as accurate in dealing with imposter syndrome as computers are apparently much like Facebook is 5% more accurate at telling you um, what friends you do and don't recognize than you are. Um, So it's another area where AI is starting to outperform us in our daily lives. Uh, And it's quite interesting because I think um, we are getting to a place where it might not be long before they don't even ask you for your driver's license at the airport. Like we are moving to a model where once your face is in the database, once your biometric is in the database, um, you walk in, you're, you know, once you get within a certain perimeter of the, of the terminal, you're automatically starting this kind of digital onboarding process to making sure that you're there for a legitimate reason. Um, and you might laugh at this, but, biometric onboarding is happening in stuff as benign as food. And you, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it only took me to get to my junior year of college to discover that we switched to all biometrics in the cafeteria. I, I, I kid you not, you could not get food at any Maryland diner without swiping your hand through a biometric entry point. And so they did away with all the student ID cards They enrolled every single student's fingerprints. And if you wanted to get food, you had to swipe your hand. It was a, it was a a horizontal swipe. So you'd walk up to the turnstile, you'd take your five fingertips and you'd wipe it across the laser basically. And in you would go to the cafeteria and it's like, well, that sounds like a lot of high tech for a little yield. Actually it was super high yield because it used to take forever to get food because cashiers were slow. They were inaccurate. They were inefficient. They were having problems with theft. Um, when they switched to the, all you could eat buffet style, where it was like, once you're behind the turnstile, you're good to go. We've charged and credited you. Um, game changer because you couldn't back up the line checking out and you couldn't back up the line going in because there was nothing to check. It was just either the turnstile worked or it didn't. Um, if you hop the turnstile, it would go off if, you know, Typical things with turnstile security, right? But suddenly biometrics made it way better of a situation to get something as simple as food, which is humorous because I think a lot of people are super nervous about, um, especially with the use case of Maryland, right? Where it only took them uh, about a semester of me being there on campus before all social security numbers going back to the early nineties were lost. Um, so I, I of course didn't have high confidence when we started claiming we were going to roll out biometrics on campus. That was kind of a red flag for me. Um, but I mean, this is the reality of where we're going with these learning algorithms and, um, biometrics is becoming an increasingly powerful area where we can do a lot with, a lot with the data, datagrams to get, an outcome that we want.
at scale. In the article we'll post in the show notes, uh, they say this spring Lufthansa announced that it boarded an A380 with over 350 passengers at LAX in less than 20 minutes, less than half their normal time using self-boarding gates linked to CP, uh, CBP's facial enabler traveler verification service. No more fumbling with your boarding pass while you have two carry-ons, maybe a kid. No more trying to find your QR codes or trying to refresh your screen. <laughs> we we all know uh, what that's like if you're a traveler and you get up there, you've had your phone, you've been touching it to, to keep the screen on. Why can't that screen just stay on? Like it's yeah. your freaking boarding pass, right? Anyways. You're, so you're refreshing it. You get distracted for a second. You get up there. It's a, oh, I got to turn. I got to sign back in. I got, you know, and it's just a mess, right? I mean, I really do love this, this idea of um, if they can get it right and it works. Yeah, it'd be a lot better to not have to like just flag, you know, flag it when it's suspicious and somebody can come by and say, hey, uh, could you step over here for just a second? Can you yeah. see some ID, <laughs> you know? Um, as opposed to checking every single person. So this could be way more efficient. Yeah. And, you know, you get, you get to the point too, where um, I think people are starting to become more comfortable with technology just because we get to much of the same, when we talk about the privacy versus the reward trade-off, um, a lot of the privacy is already lost in the sense of the moment you step through the airport, right? So um when you're already starting with that level of assumption, it's one of those things where it in a way gets better because it's not a human profiling you. Um, so I think personally, a, quite a fair number of people would prefer being profiled by a, a machine than by a human. Um, when we talk about bias and the reasons for being profiled, they're picked out from a crowd. Um, to a certain extent, you might feel more comfortable with a quote impartial computer algorithm doing it. Now, of course, the the world's famous question is how does the how does the biometric algorithm not become like the fake news algorithm and start showing me preferential content? Um, I think that's a again same real world risk as we don't have a good test harness for knowing when we are getting out of our own constraints of bias. Um, but I think the mitigating factor here when it comes to the airport security is the data retention. So um, short-term data retention is always a key um, discriminator for ensuring that you can't take long-term advantage of those those patterns and trends. So um, I'm actually quite pleased with the direction we're going with technology like this because I think it's at the point where we need to get it out there and see whether or not it sinks or floats. Um, I do think it will long-term um, lead to, again, more automation in jobs where we've done a lot of staffing up, like TSA is a hugely staffed organization. Um, I think you'll start to see um, staff attrition over time as computers can more and more do the profiling tasks that are done by agents right now. Um, well, it's no, it's no different than on the road when they flag a truck, yeah. you know, all these trucks go by and it's like, you can keep going, you can keep going, you need to pull over. And it, how much faster could it be if it's a, if it's a verified, you know, if we can get to the point where they're verified, I imagine there always need to be some spot checking of some type, wouldn't you think, just to make sure the computer hasn't lost its mind, you know, but anyways, if it can get it right. Then, um, you know, uh, let those people th go through the gates faster and 
I can't complain too much. Omaha is really a 45 minute airport, regardless. Like I show up 40, I literally get in the building 45 minutes ahead of time and I'm 25 minutes too early. So I don't, we, we have, we have such a great airport and it's super efficient and it works out really, really well. I don't, it's the other cities that I have problems with. And actually, to be honest, I flew out of Reagan all the time and I never struggled there. I guess you kind of figure out how to get through the right places, but I, I haven't really struggled with lines. Now go to Denver. That's a completely different story. So some of those high traffic airports, um, you know, there could be some uh, Christian, if, we can get time savings for travelers. Nobody's going to care because it's such a nightmare today. And the, the average traveler just wants to get in and get out. And they, they'll sacrifice privacy all day long to get, to get that done. And so I think this is a slam dunk. If they can do it and do it reliably and get it in, I can't imagine. I can't, you know, oh, okay, stand in line for 45 minutes or stand in line for three minutes. Okay, I'll take the three minutes. You can get as much. You know, this was the premise of the easy pass, right? You basically gave up everything. You, you basically got a super reinforced background check so that you could get, you could save three minutes, maybe in some cases, maybe as much as 30 in the, you know, in the security line, you'd have to go through the common folks. Again, sometimes that easy pass line is in Omaha. It's longer than the... <laughs> It's longer than the regular line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it, it reminds me of um, another more popular technology that's coming out in airports that people are actually buying into. Is um, are you familiar with Clear? Yeah, I've seen that at I've seen that at Reagan. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know a very similar concept to PreCheck, except you pay them some inordinate amount of money per year, so that it's basically fingers and face, and you walk up to the terminal and very little interaction with TSA or otherwise to get through security. Right. Um, I have never found in the, you know, I, I travel fairly often and um, it has not been my experience that someone who's paying all this money for clear has beat me with pre-check, but um, yeah. you know, that yeah. that's, yeah. that's just, I, I just, everybody said as much as I was flying, everybody was like, why don't you get the pass? And I'm like, I'll be honest with you where I go. I just don't struggle with those, but it is struggle. It is a struggle. It is real. I don't, I don't want it to, you know, I don't want to get your angry emails like, Oh, in Philly or whatever. Um, Cause it is, it is a struggle and it is real. And um, I just don't, I don't know. I, I just haven't, I, the, the routes I fly, it just hasn't been that bad. I do. And I am continually frustrated with the boarding process, which is just, Oh my, it's, it could, could we find a harder thing to do and make it even harder? Um, you know, and I, if we could get better at that and, and get folks on the plane, I'm not sure checking them in any faster fixes it. Like the whole side of the airplane needs to open up. Like it's a ride at Disneyland and people come in from the sides and then the plane closes and they lock it and they're, I mean, how great would that be? Yeah. Uh, you know, be pre pre pretty great. Um, but, you know, it's it's not even only airports where, so a couple, couple theories on this. One, people become more comfortable with the ease of use and the kind of express life, the express lane. But I think where people will start to get angry for a while is in the job cuts. And they're not here now but because everything's in pilot mode, but they are coming in a massive way. Um, I predict it will, I predict the size of the TSA workforce will be cut in half within 10 years. Mm. Um, and 
that that will just be as more technology ramps up and replaces these folks. But people have built entire business models around guaranteeing that they cut out their workforce. Um, biggest example is um, how AI is is cutting into the um, the the taxi market, right? So for years, Uber and Lyft, it was all about we have to burn through a bunch of investor capital funding to pay a bunch of drivers to drive people around cities and and do all of the things, right? Um, and that was all well and good, but now they they know that they're not profitable as long as they're paying drivers, but they're they're very profitable as soon as that goes away. Um, so when I was out at Vegas this summer um, for DEFCON and I opened my Lyft app to get a ride, guess what? I got offered a self-driving car. Um, and so they have a fleet of, I think up to, I don't know how many cars they have enabled with it now, but um, they've done over 5,000 self-driving rides um, at, for Lyft as of recent. And, um, you know, no fatalities, accidents or otherwise so far, um, but they will be limited by local laws and state laws as people become familiar, you know, they're kind of at the mercy of government deciding that we're okay with the whole self-driving car service thing. But if that button does get pressed, guarantee you they will there will be no such thing as oh i'm an uber or lyft driver anymore right huge economy right now they started by gutting the traditional taxi market and a lot of those taxi cab drivers moved over into just being their own full-time lyft or uber driver and then ai will take a giant giant cut to that by as federal local state laws start catching up with these technologies um it's it's written in the business plans of these companies that they are going to get rid of their predominant um, crowdsourced workforce, more or less. And I mean, the way Lyft, Lyft Uber drivers are paid, they're independent contractors. They're not employees, right? So um, a lot of those types of um, short-term and or independent 1099 type job positions in our economy um, are going to start dwindling as the AP, as the as the AI enabled solutions really start ramping up. Um, I think it's much more imminent with stuff like um, the car industry than it is with maybe TSA right away. Um, but the trend is very clear that we're actually I think 2018 is the first year where I can, you know, say with a some some level of crystallization that, yeah, we're starting to move in a direction where um, people are going to need to become more suitable for different types of economies and different types of jobs very soon um, because we're starting to see things that had short-term opened up um, a lot of jobs for folks. Um, it's going to shift again within a few years. Uh, kind of interesting that, you know, when Uber tried to do this, they had that accident, you know, in Arizona, I think back in the spring, killed that person. You know, if, and then of course they they shut the program down. They're not testing in Arizona anymore, right? You know, and I think they're going to move to a different location. But, you know, it's interesting how sensitive we are to that, especially with technology. I can't imagine the number of people who died in cars the early years of automobiles when there were no seatbelts, glass was single pane, there was no safety. I mean, Christian, it had to be enormous. And if we would have taken the same approach then as we do now, we we ne we wouldn't have had automobiles. We'd have nope, too dangerous. They kill people. Well, 
you know, so they do have a little bit, I think, of a tougher hill to climb because of the sensitivity of the public to those kinds of things. And um, and so it, it could be a little slower road to hoe um, to get there. I mean, it may take a bunch of time. And it's never going to be perfect. I mean, it's yeah. it's always, you know, when you're taking a very calculated system and a very uncalculated system and you're jamming them together, the humans are the problem. And again, we get back to Skynet. The humans are the problem at the end of the day. They're the ones that uh, that eventually cause most of the problems by being uh, unpredictable. And the and the system that controls it can't can't control it. And so it can't predict it and, and what the human's going to do. So I think we've got some still some rough road ahead, no pun intended, to get self-driving vehicles working. Vent Surf, when last time he was here at Gallup, we were talking about self-driving vehicles. And he goes, the problem's not the vehicle. The problem's the damage that the humans do to the vehicle when they're on the inside of it. They feel like there's nobody there. There's no driver. They can just vandalize it. And he said in some of the early testings of some of the other areas, these cars would come back just vandalized. Yeah. And so they're going to have to kind of overcome that issue as well, don't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think they're probably going to go around to um, local governments that are favorable to them being long-term. And eventually when they do kind of stabilize out and become more and more trusted, the people who originally said no are going to have to flip. Um, more interesting will be the societal experiment of, when people are then told they are no longer allowed to drive their own cars and a computer must drive it for them, um, I, I expect full-on rebellion at that point um, because there's plenty of people who still want to drive their own car. Um, so gets gets very interesting. You know, it's for years I've always thought, um, you know, we've we've had the technical ability to, for example, limit cars from going over a certain speed limit, right? Like. If we wanted to stop all, quote, reckless driving, we could easily um, require by law that no car can go over 80 miles an hour or whatever the highest posted speed limit is in the country, right? But no one has ever gone close to um, seriously getting any kind of movement behind that, right? So if we're that reluctant to put in those kinds of protections with vehicles, um, I, I can't imagine what that looks like when it comes time to, hey, turn over the keys to the robot, yeah, so. especially in America. Yeah. Oh, especially. Yeah. Huge car enthusiast community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it could be interesting. Well, I think that'll be an interesting one to watch over the next 20 years. I think it's going to take a ton of time to get it worked out. Yeah. I, oh, I was yeah. kind of hoping we'd see it in my lifetime. I kind of, I'm kind of doubting it like a full fledged. By the way, I, today I would completely turn my car over. If I knew I could call a car, it would be here at the time I need it. It would take me where I want to go and I wouldn't have to drive uh, and it would do it more efficiently. I'm in like, I couldn't, um, I'm, I'm making the trip, the hour trip out to, to Lincoln now on Mondays mm. and I, yeah, I could get a lot of work done an hour out and an hour back. I mean, I'm basically, I, I've, I've now created a, eh, probably not as bad, but time wise, a DC commute is what I've, you know, is what I have on Mondays. And I would love to just, get work done in the car. Great connectivity the whole way there and the whole way back. That hasn't always been true, but it is now. Man, I, I, I would, I'd be done. I don't need, and if I could call a truck and it would haul crap away from me, even better. Like, I, I think that would be an automate. 
Well, maybe that's a, maybe that's the next service somebody needs to come up with is an automated trash hauling service that call the truck. It'll be parked in the driveway on the morning. You, you know, you wake up in the morning and it's sitting there, spend your Saturday filling it up with whatever it drives itself away at night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for a big portion of people, I think they would easily concur with that assessment. Yeah. Um, but there's also a big portion of people that are like, no, thank you. No, right on, right on. I'd also like that to be in a, you know, we've talked a lot on Home Gadget Geeks about robot lawnmowers. And I, I don't actually want to own one of those things, but I might pay a service that where that thing would drive itself over to my house and just mow and then drive on to the next person. And, you know, but in it be completely autonomous, like that wouldn't be such a bad thing if it could make its way over. So, I think there's some real, you know, there's some real interesting things in the service industry that we could, before we have to shuttle people, we could shuttle services pretty effective, you know, pretty efficiently. And I think pretty effectively and, um, and, and keep it, you know, you talk about taking costs out, be a great way to, you know, take costs out of the system. Christian, you have an update on uh, Google Authenticator. Yeah, so uh, just a wind down from uh, the DEF CON updates. I finally got a chance to turn on the uh, authenticator tokens, both the Fishian and the uh, the Fido U2F um, token, and uh, pretty happy with it. Um, the Google team was able to natively integrate the hardware-based tokens with the um, the Apple iOS mail client, which I was super surprised that they... Um, did that because they always try and get you to um, download the Gmail app onto your phone. Uh, so was really pleased that they got native integration for the hardware-based token because keep in mind, one of the big things that happens when you go into um, hardware is the hardware-based two-factor for Google takes away all of your um, third-party uh, third app codes. So like if you if you have two factor that's based on text messaging or the duo app you can get a um a special app code basically for stuff like microsoft outlook and so forth to connect so um basically i'm at the point where the only thing i don't have working in the new high security mode of google is um my outlook client can't connect because basically imap has no ability to do that type of two factor and I don't have the ability to generate an app token to log in. Um, so kind of all around, it's um, going to be um, difficult for me to reconcile that one because I do use Outlook quite quite extensively for mail accounts. So I uh, haven't figured out that piece yet. Um, it might involve me forwarding off to other accounts that makes it easier to, to redigest it into Outlook. I haven't I haven't quite decided what I'm doing there yet, but by and large for the average consumer, not bad. Um, I think they will um, do what they can to integrate with whatever open source mail clients are available. Cause I think that's the biggest UK use case out there. Now that the Apple client is, you know, closed source, obviously it's through Apple. So there's a part of me that hopes and holds out for the day where they get a similar deal done with Microsoft for outlook, but I don't know if that day is coming. Of course, you can use for Outlook, you can use Microsoft's Authenticator, right? Um, well, if you want to log into their Outlook service, yes. But yeah. if you want to download your Google Mail into oh, like gotcha. the Outlook 
software, not gotcha. the yeah, not the gotcha. email. I'm tracking. I'm tracking with you. So yeah, cool. And then uh, another another uh, vulnerability out there we need to know about. Yeah, last one. Um, just just kind of like a, a closing antidote, I suppose. The um, everyone kind of wanted to know how did the whole Equifax breach happen. It's been a year since the Equifax breach happened, so I figured it was kind of appropriate to bring it back up. Um, the actual original way that Equifax got um, hacked to no end is through a bug in the Apache server um, for a uh, basically a module and feature of the server called uh, struts, Apache struts, um, which is basically a um, quite common framework used within Apache. Um, and so just a word to the wise for anyone who still hasn't dealt with um, these version updates. If you're using Apache struts, like make sure you did that patch um, quite, quite a long time ago that um, the original vulnerability disclosure came out. So um, hopefully you did it, um, but not as applicable to the average guy, but much more of like a, Hey, we made it to one year of Equifax uh, screwing up. And what do we have to show for it? Honestly, not that much. Equifax, I think, went away from this pretty unscathed. Um, no major changes to how we do tri-state credit bureau reporting occurred. Um, no changes in data requirements or data disclosure occurred. It was kind of what I anticipated, which was we'll slap one year um, fraud protection for anyone who signs up for it. And after that, back to business as usual. So um, they have succeeded yet again in, in using that run book to get out of um, a PR crisis. So, John asked a question in chat. Um, do you have to patch all the apps that were created with struts, not just the, um, not just the struts itself? Uh, no, my understanding is that it, it's a module that hits off the server. So don't, don't take me for word there because I'm not 100% on that. Um, but I believe if if it's loaded like most Apache security modules or just Apache modules in general, you update the module basically, not the code framework. All right. We doubted we had an hour worth of content. We're a little short, yeah. but I think we're, we're right at 50-some minutes. So I think uh, rather than push it, we'll call it good. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Uh, sounds good. We'll remind everyone. Uh, first, thanks for listening. If you uh, haven't subscribed, uh, go ahead and do that. It's a good way. We we are pretty, Christian and I are pretty sporadic in, uh, in getting this out. We kind of do it when we have time to do it. It's a little more difficult. Christian's gotten pretty busy. Um, I'm just sitting around waiting for Christian. Sometimes I cry on Monday nights when he's not here. But um, we'd love to have you subscribe. So get that done as well. So subscribe, rate, review, follow, all those fun things that you need to do to make sure you get in the podcast. If you're not getting it automatically, Figure out the right, you're an IT professional. Figure out the right way to get this thing done and get it subscribed to. Don't forget the AverageGuy.tv powered by Maple Grove Partners. And and the guest 750 said maybe there's some improvements coming at Maple Grove Partners. I don't know who 750 is out there, but he seemed, to allude, he seemed to allude to something going on. Oh, I don't know what it is. Maybe we should do a show around that, Christian. Yep. Uh, powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. Of course, for information on plans out there get them as little as 10 bucks it's the best value i think out there get it uh, get it taken care of maplegrovepartners.com and of course if you have questions comments or contributions if you'd like to get uh, have christian wax eloquently on a topic that you choose send him an email christian at the average guy.tv you can send it to me i just i'll just forward it to christian of course you can follow him on twitter at board whisperer and i'm at jay collison 
John and uh, guest 750, the very anonymous guest 750. We appreciate you guys coming out here tonight. We'll do it again in a couple weeks or whenever we get it pulled together. And uh, with that, we'll say goodnight. Goodnight. Goodnight.